Welcome to the Grad School Femtoring Podcast, the place for first-gen students of color to prepare for grad school. This is Dr. Yvette Martinez Fu, and I will be serving as your femtor, providing you with tips and tricks and everything else you need to know to get into and successfully navigate grad school. For over 10 years, I've been helping first-gen students of color get into top grad programs in their field, and I'm really excited to support you on your academic journey too. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Grad School Fem Touring Podcast. This is your host, Doctora Yvette. And today I have an episode all about expats of higher ed and why so many people are leaving academia. I wanted to bring up this topic because I have noticed that since the start of the pandemic in 2020, I have heard about more and more people leaving academia. And it's not just from the faculty side. So um, if you're familiar with the adjunctification of higher ed, or the ways that in academic spaces, more and more tenure lines are getting cut out and instead they're replacing faculty with contingent employees who are working on uh, part-time status or temporary contract basis. Oftentimes they don't get benefits. Oftentimes they're making below uh, minimum wage or um, on a poverty line stipend. And it's unfortunate because not only does this impact the livelihoods of the professors who are teaching you, but then it also could impact potentially the quality of the teaching they provide because they're not provided with the resources necessary to do a stellar job. And that's not to say that adjunct professors are not doing a great job because I know so many people who put their heart and soul in their teaching, but that is there is something to say about the fact that higher ed undervalues so many of its employees. And again, it's not just happening among faculty, it's happening among staff. And I have not heard a lot of conversations have to be had among, um, I don't know, among different writing platforms, among different social media platforms, among different conferences, and even in publications, I, I, I don't know that this conversation is being told enough. And so I thought I would share today some of my observations from <clears throat> being part of many different digital spaces where folks have decided to leave are in the process of leaving or have left. And I want to share the common reasons why people are leaving or have left. And one thing I wanna say about it, another observation um, that is not a surprise, you might have made this observation too, is that a lot of the reasons why professors leave higher ed and also staff members leave higher ed are the same reasons that teachers are leaving the K through 12 system. So many teachers are leaving their places of employment and it's not for lack of passion or joy in the work, 
um, or love of teaching, it's because of a lot of other factors that push them out. And so we'll start with um, one reason that comes to mind right away is the culture of overwork. I know there's a culture of overwork in general that's part of U.S. American culture. So it's a very capitalistic system, a very singular system. It's uh, all about like the more you do, more, more, more uh, people associating their value with their productivity. So that's not a surprise, but it's even more prevalent in higher ed. It's a badge of honor to be busy and to be overworked and to do more. And if you're not, then you're seen as not up to par, as not good enough, as lazy, you name it. I've heard so many of these different things. And not only is that untrue, but to say that folks that do less, you know, can't cut it or aren't good enough is a form of ableism. So the culture of overwork is not helpful and it leads to burnout and it promotes martyrdom and martyrdom impacts who it impacts women the most it impacts caregivers it impacts uh, people of color BIPOC folks because they are often met with an increased sense of guilt over service requests and um, needing to be there as a spokesperson for their culture, race, ethnicity, identity, you name it, because of the lack of representation in academia. So culture of overwork, along with burnout, along with martyrdom, are strong reasons why people are leaving. Another very, very strong reason people are leaving, both in higher ed and also in K-12 too, is the low pay. So issues of salary, salary inequity, um, not getting paid equitably according to other people in similar fields or even in the same position, but who was there before you. Um, Salary compression, where you may be a manager and the person before you advocated for their salary and all of a sudden they're only making very little or the same as you uh, and you're their supervisor with more credentials and experience. and and then just in general, the, the low salary compared to other similar positions, either in the same institution, across institutions, or across industries, if you're doing similar work as folks in other industries, noticing just how low your pay is, along with low pay, the fact that a lot of positions offer little room for advancement, so you may reach a certain level let's say a mid-level position, you become a director or a manager, and then there's no room for you to go anywhere from there in your current program, department, or unit. So low pay, uh, little room for advancement, also lack of transparency in pay. So even when you're applying to jobs, So many job ads don't include uh, the salary or a range. And I know that now um, there are laws in certain states that make it so that um, companies and institutions are required to put the 
at least a, some sort of pay range in their job ads. But even then, folks find loopholes, folks find workarounds. They'll put these really broad or really big ranges that don't give you a clear indicator of what the salary is. And it's really um, a red flag when you see a job ad, there's no salary range at all, and you contact them and folks give you, they refuse to give you an answer or they give you uh, a mean response as in if they're offended that you're asking for the salary range. Um, so yes, when it comes to numbers, when it comes to money, the low pay, little room for advancement, lack of transparency with pay, and also the lack of financial support, not only uh, in terms of the salary that you get or the pay range or the hourly rate that you get, but also lack of financial support to do the things that you need to get done. So maybe your job requires having a budget and your budget keeps getting cut more and more. So you're having to do the same or more with less funding. So it's the <clears throat> high chance of burnout, the monetary or financial issues. Then on top of that, the being undervalued in other ways. So many staff members are treated as second-class citizens compared to tenure faculty and administrators. And I've been there and I've experienced this myself and I have witnessed it time and time again among my colleagues, some of my most brilliant, well-respected colleagues because they are staff members and not faculty have been treated <clears throat> like what some folks have actually said, peons. I've heard someone higher, high level administrator, this white woman at UCLA call her employees peons and laughing about it. So the lack of respect, the undervaluing, treated as second-class citizens, treated as replaceable, that pushes people out. You know you are replaceable when you see your own colleagues, if you're still in your positions, if you're still working in higher ed, you notice colleagues leaving, and the next day there's a job ad out or there's no goodbye, there's no celebration of their work, there's no appreciation, it's silence and then move on and replace them as quickly as possible. Or even in some cases, I know this is really, really sad, but I've witnessed folks who have passed away and all they get is two, three lines in an email message. And the next thing you know, they're moving on to replacing this individual. Uh, so being replaceable, and then um, the other thing I wanted to mention is not only do we have the, the overwork, um, but along with the overwork is that there are staff shortages in a lot of higher ed staff units because folks are leaving, they're not always replaced or they're not replaced right away, or that position gets cut because of budget cuts. Folks are having to do more and having to do things outside of their job description or their job description changes and they don't get any salary increase because of that. So an increased workload um, and staff shortages makes it an inhospitable and unsustainable place to keep working. 
related to inhospitability is the fact that so many, this is not the case of everywhere. There's some really amazing people, amazing staff, pretty good admin, uh, awesome faculty and um, managers and folks really, really doing the work to promote a healthy environment and to build community. I know some incredible people, so I don't want you to take this the wrong way, but academia is known to be very toxic and also to be full of scarcity, the scarcity mindset of giving you the sense of like this position that you have is the best that you'll ever had and that you should be grateful for what you have and that you shouldn't be striving for anything else and that you're selfish if you want to move up or move on or ask for a higher pay. And so that's that's toxicity of work, 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 work and be grateful for what you the little that you have and the scarcity that drives people away once they realize oh wait this is not the case everywhere else oh wait i can find work environments where i can have flexibility in my work i can work from home i can make two, at least two times what i make now i can be treated with respect i can move up and advance, <clears throat> all these things will draw people into other industries and push them out of higher ed. And so why am I having this conversation? Why am I mentioning these things to you? Because I do think that there is something that can be done um, to improve higher ed workspaces, especially for staff. Again, I feel like so many conversations are had about faculty and not enough about staff who do so much to keep campuses afloat. And I also know that I have uh, faculty members who listen to this podcast. I've got staff members and folks in management positions who listen to this podcast. And I, I think I have a couple of administrators who also listen to this podcast. And this is all from hearsay and anecdotes and folks that email me and message me, send me DMs. This is how I know who my listeners are. And so um, if you are one of those listeners, if you are in the position where you can advocate on behalf of staff members, I want you to listen up. And these are a few things that you can do to improve the work environment for your employees, for your colleagues, for the people that you are a manager for. The first is advocate for salary transparency. So many job ads get put up and it's normalized to not put a salary band on there. And nowadays it's getting harder to, because more it's becoming a requirement more and more, uh, like I said, more and more states are making a requirement to share the salary band or the salary range. But even then try to be, as clear as possible about what the salary range is, as specific as possible, um, so that you're not misleading anyone when they're applying. People need to know how much they're going to make and if the position they're applying for will allow them to take care of themselves. How are you going to apply for a position if you don't know if you're going to sustain yourself with it? So advocate for salary transparency. The next thing I recommend <clears throat> is to advocate for salary increases among staff. Make sure that staff are being paid equitably. Uh, that means among your institution, other institutions, 
other industries, uh, even compared to uh, current and previous staff members, and make sure that their pay also reflects their achievements and not just a cost of living adjustment. Because with the rising costs and the huge increase with inflation, a lot of cost of living adjustments actually did not um, did not line up with the inflation rates. And so folks are actually making less than before because their salaries are not keeping up with inflation. So again, advocate for salary increases that are equitable and that indicate or measure up to the employee's achievements. The other thing is to advocate for personal and professional development and offer funding for that. So not only offer time, but offer funding. If you can find room in your budget, even if it's a little bit, uh, what may not be a lot to you is something to your employees. So um, this includes um, allowing them to attend conferences, to get professional coaching, leadership coaching, life coaching, academic coaching. I've worked with employees who have had their um, their HR or their program, their units pay for the coaching that I provide for them. So it's not unheard of. It is possible. And you can be the one to advocate for others to receive this kind of support. Um, and then this also includes not expecting your employees to stay with you forever, to be okay if an employee stays for one year or even a few years, because if you truly want to advocate for them to move up, they're going to need to move on too. So um, knowing and expecting that you will be a reference at some point, probably sooner rather than later, and then preparing for these transitions, like being okay with folks leaving and having a plan so that even as folks leave, your unit still can have smooth transitions. Um, so that's what I mean when I say advocate for personal professional development. It means treat your employees well, allow them to grow, and also be a reference and support them as they move on to bigger and better opportunities. Uh, the other thing I want to say that you can do is to keep pushing against the culture of overwork. There are so many things that people do that they don't even realize that they don't necessarily have to keep doing things the same way or even doing those same things at all. You can do less. You Could you do something like offer summer Fridays where maybe staff members can leave early on Fridays if Fridays tend to be kind of slower days for you? Could you um, make sure that if you have salaried employees and they're working overtime because of certain events, maybe you have evening events a couple times a year, then making sure that they are getting that time back, that they start late the next day or that they're working less that week to make up for that overtime. Can you plan fun staff events? Can you plan fun team meetings, retreats, um, and make sure that you check in with your employees to make sure that they're doing okay that's what I mean when I say pushing back against the culture of overwork is thinking about the folks that you work with holistically and making sure that they're okay and not expecting them to be working 24-7 or at the same pace at all times. Um, the other thing that you can do is to encourage flexibility and advocate for more remote work opportunities when appropriate. Listen, 
I understand that some jobs require face-to-face engagement and some parts of people's job description also require face-to-face engagement, but many jobs don't, or they don't require face-to-face in-person work a hundred percent of the time. So I don't know if you realize, but if you offered a day or two days fully remote, that could change lives for individuals. I've got coaching clients who, if they got one or two days of remote work, that would allow them to breathe because they have long commutes, because they have kids, because they just need a day where they can focus on their admin work and not have a million interruptions. And so believe it or not, you know, either encouraging some days of remote work, or even if you notice there are positions that could be fully remote advocating for that, you're going to increase your chances that not only do folks stay, but when you do hire folks, you're going to hire stronger candidates because your applicant pool is actually going to grow. Not a lot of people want to be working in an office, you know, 40 hours a week or more or full time anymore. Folks want to have some more agency, some more flexibility. They're willing to work and work hard, but so long as they feel like they have a say, and even if it's just one day remote work a week can make a huge difference and even increase productivity if that's something you're looking to have. Okay, the last thing I want to say is that, and I, I can't not say this, that as a manager, as an administrator, as a faculty member, as someone who can make a difference in other people's lives in higher ed, you need to do your part to keep learning about how to be an anti-racist, to keep learning about how to be an anti-ableist, to keep learning about so many other forms of oppression and how to push against that, how to dismantle them in some way, shape or form, to keep learning about social justice concepts, to keep learning about um, implicit bias and to learn to find ways to make the spaces that you enter and that you impact more hospitable for your employees, no matter what identities they hold, to make it a place where folks have a sense of belonging. Um, And it, it would also be great if you required your staff to also learn about these things, to share opportunities with them, to have conversations. You could have a team meeting, staff meeting, you have conversations about these topics and not, and just making sure not, not just that you're learning about it, having conversations about it, but that you're practicing what you preach. Take a look around. What does your staff look like? Is it diverse enough? In what ways is it not diverse? And what can you do about that? Because another reason why a lot of really good folks are leaving is not just because of the overwork or the low pay, or feeling like a second-class citizen, or um, just, it's likely because of all those things, and the fact that they don't feel like they belong, and the fact that they may be experiencing a number of different forms of microaggressions, and they realize that this is all too much. And if they can find another job or they don't have to deal with all this BS, they will, and they have, and they're doing it. 
So again, if you can do something about it, I offer a few suggestions. There are a lot of reasons why so many people are calling themselves expats. And there's even an entire Facebook group called Expats of Higher Ed. Um, I know I'm part of it. I know a lot of people I know are part of it. And there are a lot of conversations, stories, folks going in and sharing their experiences anonymously. So if you're curious about what's going on, um, I encourage you to check that out um, and also to do something about it if you have the capacity to do it, if you are in the position where you can make a difference. That's it for this week. I hope that you found something useful today. And even if you're not an admin, faculty, manager, I also hope that you took something from this conversation to advocate for yourself in your work settings, because odds are, if you're listening to this, a lot of your grad students or emerging grad students or recent graduates still working in higher ed. So there are ways that you can continue advocating for yourself, pushing for yourself. Um, and some of these things that I mentioned are hopefully going to help you get there. Okay. I'll talk to you all next time. Thanks so much for joining me in the Grad School Femtoring Podcast. If you liked what you heard, here are three ways you can support the show. The first is to make sure you're subscribed and leave a review of the podcast. If you leave me a review on Apple Podcasts, you become eligible for a free half-hour coaching session with me. Yes, that's right, one free session. Once you leave a review, you can email me a screenshot and I'll send you a link to sign up. The second way to show your love is to get yourself a copy of my free 15-page grad school femtoring kit, which includes resources on research, organization, grad school, and career prep. Go to gradschoolfemtoring.com slash kit to get it today. The third and last way to support my show is to follow me on social media. I am on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and occasionally TikTok with the handle at Grad School Femtoring. Thanks again and until next time.